Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on page 22. All right. Wrapping up the Korbanot Ketoret section of the preliminary prayers, we conclude the Ketoret with a famous prayer titled Ana B'choach. We implore you. Does this sound familiar? We recite it several times throughout the evening. The first time we're going to recite it is at this point in the morning. It's also recited in the bedtime Kriya Shema. It's also recited Friday night right before Lechadodi. It's recited in several other places as well. We recite it after the counting of the Omer. It's a well-known prayer. And what's fascinating about this prayer, I just learned this, it goes way back in history. It's pretty old. It's attributed to a um, one of the authors of the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a group of various authors of Tanoim. His name was Rabbi Nechunya ben Hakana. He's quoted in Pirkei Avos, so the name might be familiar. It's an unusual name, Nechunya ben Hakana. Anybody heard of him? Rabbi Nechunya ben Hakana was a contributor to the Mishnah, which means he was an expert in Jewish law. This is going back 2,000 years ago-ish, little maybe, yeah, something like that, 1,800 years ago. But he was also a Kabbalist which is fascinating because when you read his teachings in the Talmud, quoted in the Talmud or quoted in Berkei Avos or wherever you may have um, heard him being quoted, you don't necessarily know that he's a Kabbalist because the Talmud is not Kabbalah, the Talmud is Talmud. Yet we know that he was a Kabbalist, which is why he wrote a very Kabbalistic prayer. He wrote a book on Kabbalah called Sefer HaBahir. It's quoted by the Ramban Nachmanides throughout his works. Anyways, what is the deal with this prayer? We're actually going to do two prayers today. We're going to do this Anavachoach and the paragraph that follows. We're going to do that. The goal is in the next half hour or so. We implore God. and We implore him specifically after the counting of the Omer. Now, in the English, it's just one big block paragraph. But if you look in the Hebrew, there's seven lines. And each line has, uh, represents something quite significant. Um, let's quickly read through the English before we dive in, yeah? Okay, page 22, top of the page. We implore you, referring to God, by the great power of your right hand, release the captive. So prayer number one, God, release those who are bound. In Hebrew, it's tatir tzirura, release those who are tied up. For a second, I thought you said, release the kraken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 well, is that the same as release the bound that we have in the morning back, back in i think it was good good age. good question um the the concept is the same the the word for bound is actually different and i don't know why that's a good point good question uh, good observation um sentence number two accept the prayer of your people strengthen us purify us awesome one number three mighty one we beseech you Guard, as the apple of the eye, those who seek your oneness. Bless them, cleanse them, bestow upon them forever your merciful righteousness. Powerful, holy one, in your abounding goodness, guide your congregation. We're asking for guidance. Only an exalted one, turn to your people who are mindful of your holiness. Accept our supplication, hear our cry. You who knows secret thoughts, those are the seven 
sentences, and then we conclude with Baruch Shem Kavod, blessed be the name of the glorious kingdom forever and ever. Kabbalists have a lot to talk about on this specific prayer, and we are not going to go into detail into the Kabbalistic background, but we'll go very basic. There are seven divine motive attributes. In English, there are seven ways where God expresses himself emotionally. Just like human beings have seven ways of expressing themselves emotionally, we have three intellectual faculties, the Chabad, right? The Chachma, Bina, Da'as, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, three uh, steps to our intellectual process. There's seven steps to our emotional process. There is Chesed, kindness, Givura, discipline, Tiferet, beauty, which is the blend of kindness and discipline, etc. Each one of these lines correspond to one of these divine emotive attributes. That's what the Kabbalists explain. So God, with your right hand, again, the right side always represents chesed, the channel of kindness, divine channel of kindness. And with God's kindness, the bound are going to be released. Kabbalists also explain that this is a prayer asking God for the final redemption. Release us from the shackles of exile. And that's quite relevant after reading all of the offerings and incense. We can't literally perform that service anymore as we once did in the temple. We can learn the lessons, apply the lessons. We can figuratively um, implement the service, but certainly not on a literal sense as we once did. So we're imploring God, bring the final redemption. Accept the prayer of your people, right? That's the second line. Although we can't bring the offering in the literal sense, we can still pray, which kind of replaces the concept, the notion of offerings, because a korban essentially is coming close to God through a sacrifice. We could do so through prayer, etc., etc. Each one of these things have the theme of either lamenting exile or prayer or praying for redemption, right? Mighty one, we beseech you, guard the apple of the eye of those who seek your oneness. That's what the messianic era is all about. God's oneness. Like Isaiah says in his prophecy, that when the Mashiach comes, the world will be full of the knowledge of God, like the sea covers the earth, covers the dust, right? God is just going to be everywhere. Here's something fascinating. The Hebrew word for exile, gole. The Hebrew word for redemption, geula. They essentially have the same letters, but the word geula has one extra letter, the letter aleph. Aleph refers to one, refers to Echad, refers to God. The way we bring God, the way, the way we bring redemption into exile is we find God. We bring God into the exile. We realize that God is so present. We reveal his presence in everything that we do. And that's essentially what we're reminding ourselves to do through this prayer so we could have that final redemption. And that's why we say, bless them, cleanse them, bestow upon them forever your merciful righteousness. Is that number three or number four? Okay. So you see that the first one, the power of your right hand, redeem us, that's chesed. That's the divine channel of kindness. The second line, mighty one, that's kivura, that's strength, discipline. That's the second line. Uh, the third line, bless them, cleanse, the, uh, cleanse them, 
bestow upon them forever your merciful righteousness, mercy, tiferet, rachamim, that uh, compassion. That is the third emotive attribute. And that's basically the blend. We're going to talk about this more soon, but that is the blend between kindness and discipline. Kindness and discipline are dichotomous. And they need to essentially synth be synthesized with one another. Right? Abraham represented what was the epitome of kindness. He had his four-door tent, was always looking for guests, even on the third day of his bris. And it turned out great. Look at his child, Isaac. Right? We know how well that turns out when you let everybody do what they want. He, you produce an Isaac, but he also produced Yishmael. Right? It didn't work out that great. So Isaac was the opposite extreme, Gevura, discipline. And that turned out great. He produced Jacob. He also produced Asa, right? It was Jacob who was able to synthesize both of these traits, which was the third trait, right? Um, mercifulness. You're not kind. You're not overly, uh, or not that you're not kind, but you're not overly kind, excessively kind. You're not excessively uh, strict. You have mercy, you have compassion. You have a balance between the two. And now you can have 12 righteous children. Although they've gone through their hiccups, they've gone through their journey, they've gone through their... But at the end of the day, they were all good Jewish boy chicks. Uh, number four. Powerful holy one. Number four in Hebrew would be Netzach, which is a victory. That is the fourth emotive attribute. Um, perhaps resilience in English. Um, powerful, holy one, in your abounding goodness, guide your congregation. And then we say, and then number five would be splendor, hod. Only an exalted one, turn to your people who are mindful of your holiness. Right, that's a that that's the concept of hold, which is also a um, it's a variation of of resilience essentially. Number six, accept our supplication, hear our cry. You who knows secret thoughts. The sixth divine emotive attribute is yesod, which means connection, the ability to connect emotionally with someone else. Right, that's God hearing our supplications hearing our cries. He knows our thoughts. There's a sense of intimacy. Did I miss one? I must have missed one here. I'm, I'm a little confused. Okay. Yeah, I thought you said six, but I think there's seven lines, right? There's seven lines. I read two at a time. And I don't know where. Okay, whoever catches my mistake wins. <laughs> might have to roll back the tape. Each one of these seven lines, by the way, corresponds to the seven weeks of the Omer, which is one of the reasons why we recite this prayer right after the Omer, because they each represent each day of the Omer, each week of the each day of the Omer represents a very specific emotive trait that we try to work on. And each week of the Omer represents that general emotive trait. The first week is the week of Chesed, kindness. The second week is the week of Gevura, discipline. We try to work on our traits and our emotions. On our, on our character, essentially, throughout the Omer. Each week of the Omer, these things represent another, um, another prayer, another, uh, another trait. There's also 49 
um, letters. Letters or words? Look on the side. Each day, each day is going to also correspond to another letter or word of this Anabachoach prayer. Can you uh, say what the seven words are again? What the yes. word that re represents each line? Yes. The first one is chesed, kindness. Second one is givura, which means strength or discipline. The third one is tiferet, which means beauty or pride, which represents essentially the blend or synthesis of kindness and discipline. The fourth one is netzach, which means uh, victory or perhaps resilience. Third one is hod, which represents uh, splendor and another variation of, of beauty. Third one is, and there's a lot to talk about on all of these, and it, some of them have come up in our Tanya classes, some of them haven't. Um, there is yesod connection. And then you have the seventh one, which is Malchut. That's the one you missed. That's the one I missed. Malchut is kingship. So these correspond when we are counting the Omer. I know that we say some phrase that's below the count of the day. I think that goes in the same order you just said. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. When we, when we have this whole structure, right, when we worked on our character, that's essentially, again, that's effectively what the Messianic era is all about. We've perfected our and aligned our relationship with God. And this all ties back to being able to perform the incense, being able to perform the offerings, being able to develop this close physical relationship with God. Right now we have a very spiritual relationship with God. We do have a physical relationship with God in context of other mitzvahs, but in context of these services that used to take place, that relationship is totally spiritual. Take a look at the next paragraph. There, this is the next prayer is an actual prayer, an actual supplication. It's quite profound, and you'll soon see why. Actually, sorry, can I just yeah, ask a question back on what we just finished? Mm -hmm. um, I learned that the that those words or letters on, on the left. Mm -hmm. um, well, I learned that this on the second line that it actually reads out a phrase "Kriyash Satan." Yes. Is that true? The other lines too, like do those also spell words like that? Yeah, each each one. the The tradition is so. So these letters on the side are the first letters of each word of the line that it's following. So the first line, Ana bechoach gedula timincha tatir tzurua starts with an aleph. The next word starts with the bet. The next one with the gimel. The next with the yud. The next with the tav. The next with the tzadik. And each one um, spells a word. I don't know what the words are for all of them. The second one, krasatan, which means to tear Satan, to tear the negative prosecutor, which is what the concept of discipline is, the concept of gevura. 
is. There are various names of God, many uh, that that are um, that we know from the Torah, from prayers, and from and many that are not known and that aren't really used again. And there is a name of God that contains forty-two letters, and that would only be used for certain services. And these letters represent that forty-two letter name of God. So there's six, there's seven lines, six words, seven times six. I hope my math is right, 42. Did I get it right this time? Okay, that's pretty rare. Um, <laughs> so that, that is another, again, there, there's layers and layers of, of Kabbalistic representation embedded in this specific prayer. Authored by the Mishnaic sage, Reb Nechunya ben Hakana. Take a look how this seamlessly flows into the next prayer. Middle of page 22. I'm going to read through it quickly. Master of the worlds, you have commanded us to offer the daily sacrifice at its appointed time and to burn the incense offering at its proper time. That's what we should be doing. Right? We're not doing that because we can't. With the Kohanim officiating the Leviim chanting, the Israelites attending the service. Now, through our sins, the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed, the daily sacrifice and incense offering are discontinued, and we have neither, Cohen of, uh, neither a Kohen officiating, nor Levi chanting, nor Israelite attending the service. Therefore, we're going to offer you the second best, which is, may it be your will, Lord our God, and God of our fathers, that the prayer of our lips be regarded and accepted by you, if we had offered the daily sacrifice at its appointed time, appointed time, attended its service, and burned its incense offering at its proper time. So God, we can't perform the service, but we can study about it. Allow that study to be considered as action. What we say should be considered as if it was what we indeed did. As it is said, we will render the prayer of our lips in place of the sacrifice of Bullocks. And it is said, this is the law of the burnt offering, the meal offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the, con the consecration offering, and the sacrifice of the peace offering. So there's a few things here. Let's take a step back. We first lament that there was a time where the Kohanim would, their, would do their job. The Levites would do their job. The Kohanim would bring the sacrifice. The Levites would sing during the sacrifice. The Israelites would attend the sacrifice and probably sponsor the sacrifice. Those were the working people. <laughs> the regular tax prayer, uh, payers. And again, in order to bring a korban, a korban represents coming close to God through a sacrifice. You need all those three components, the Kohen, the Levite, the Israelite. When it comes to bringing our own korban, to us approaching God, because that's what a, the word korban means. It comes from the Hebrew word karov, to come close. And we're bringing an animal to God, different type of animal. But we're not going to bring a real cow. We're going to bring our animal soul to God. And we're going to slaughter it to God. We're going to ignite it, light it on fire, imbue it with passion, the passion of the divine soul. That's what essentially the system of prayer is. And 
What we're showing, by the way, what we're trying to do with this class is eventually show how every step in the sitter is getting us closer to that goal of imbuing our animal soul with passion. So our animal soul is inspired to feel to be Jewish, not just forced. And to do that, we need three components. You need the Kohen, you need the Levi, you need the Israelite. What do these three components represent? Going back to the divine emotive attributes, the Kohen represents chesed, kindness. Think of the head honcho of al Kohanim, Aaron Cohen. Aaron Cohen, right? The Cohen Gadol. What was he most known for? He was the very first relationship counselor. He was. He would bring marriages together. He would bring friends who were going through a difficult time together. He was a peacemaker. We know from Perkei Avot, chapter 1 of Perkei Avot, be a student of Aaron. Love peace. Pursue peace. That's what Aaron represents. He is the father of al Kohanim. That is the Kohen trait. In fact, when the Kohen does the priestly blessings, what blessing do they make before? When they get up into you know, do their Yivarechecha, they, it's a biblical commandment, so they make a blessing beforehand. Blessed you, Lord God, King of the universe. You've commanded us and sanctified us with your mitzvahs and commanded us to, anybody know the blessing? Concludes with, it's actually in the sitter, so we could cheat. Take a look on page. Three something. Take a look on page 351. Bottom of the page. Prior to a Kohen blessing the Jewish people, Vitzivanu, God has commanded us, Lavarich to bless Adamo Yisrael, the nation of Israel, the Ahava, with love. A Kohen has to bless with love to the point that if a Kohen feels a grudge towards somebody, they're not supposed to go up. Because the Cohen prototype is chesed, is kindness, is love. If we want to engage the animal soul, we want to imbue our animal with fire, with passion, which is what a sacrifice is. It's got to be with love. But what happens when you only use, when you only have love? Like Abraham, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> right? You have an Isaac, but you have a Yishmael, so you need a little bit of discipline. That's the Levi. The Levi represents discipline, strictness, gavura. Let me put it this way. The Cohen brings the fire from, of God down to earth. The Levi is disciplined because they, what is the job of the Levi? They sing to God. They're going to God. It's not about God coming down and I'm being inspired. I'm going to God and I'm singing to him. I'm elevating. That represents the, a spiritual trait of discipline. In general, Moses, who was a Levi, was pretty disciplined, right? Aaron's focus, who was the Cohen, was a relationship with people. Moses's focus was a relationship with God. That takes an immense amount of discipline. But what happens if you just implore discipline? 
Your animal soul's not going to get that fire. It will get engaged, but it won't be on fire, or at least not long-lasting. You need a synthesis of both chesed and gvura. Passion, love, kindness, and gvura, discipline, uh, severity, consistency. There has to be a synthesis, a balance between the two, and that's the Israelite, who is the third character trait, Tiferet. Tiferet literally means beauty. It's a beautiful mix or blend between the two. And if we can blend these, if we can figure out how to be disciplined in our relationship with God, show up every day to whatever it is that we're committing to, whether it's davening on a daily basis, whether it's lighting candles on a weekly basis, or learning Torah on a daily basis, whatever it is, show up, be, be like that Levi. But be like the Cohen as well, imbue it with passion, with love, with excitement. I blend the two. Now we can bring our own personal animal soul and catch it on fire. Now, in a perfect world, we would love to do this in the most literal of senses because that's what we're commanded to do. God wants to be part of this physical world. We have to use our, be our next best option, our lips. We have to learn about it. We can't perform it, so we have to learn about it. If you take a look back in the book, on the uh, middle of the paragraph, one, two, nine, nine lines from the top of the paragraph. It's the middle of the par middle paragraph, nine lines from the top, middle paragraph and middle of the paragraph, where it says, therefore, therefore, may it be your will, Lord our God, and God of our fathers, that the prayer of our lips be regarded and accepted by you as if we have offered the daily service at its appointed time, attended servants, burnt its incense at its proper time, etc. May it be your will that us studying about these sacrifices, sacrifice, I no. <laughs> may it be as if we actually performed it. There's a this is fascinating because the destruction of the temple, exile, has altered Judaism for all time. Judaism looked very different. Its essence has remained. Nothing's changed. The Torah doesn't change. But the face of Judaism looks different from pre-temple and post-temple. And the majority of history of Jewish history is post-temple, ironically. Or at least half of it. But the face of Judaism has changed. We don't, Judaism doesn't center around the temple in Jerusalem as it once did. There was a time where if you wanted to bring an offering and you're not a Kohen, you have to sponsor the offering and have a Kohen do it on your behalf. And if you were wealthy, this is the type of animal you would sponsor. If you were less wealthy, you'd sponsor a less expensive animal. Right now, you can bring that offering. And you don't have to be a Kohen. And you don't have to be wealthy either. <laughs> Because us studying about it is as if we performed it. So the because it's a spiritual offering that we're bringing, it could be done anytime, place by anybody. Ironically, exile has made Judaism more accessible for everybody. Because Judaism, at least this facet of Judaism, this part of Judaism is more spiritual. When something is physical and observance-based, it has its parameters of 
who does it, when it's done, how it's done. But as soon as it's spiritual and just studying about it, well, anybody can do it at any time, any place, anywhere. Which one is better? The spiritual component is definitely more convenient. It's more inclusive. But the physical component is what the purpose is, which is why we're asking for Mashiach. We pray to God, please bring Mashiach, even though it comes with limitations. When Mashiach comes, we have to bring the offering at the appointed time, at the appointed place, by the appointed person. Why are we praying to God for limitations? And the reason is because God wants to be part of our limited world. This is a world of boundaries. And our goal is not to escape the boundaries of this physical world so we can be spiritual, but it's to make God part of this physical world. So we say, God, we don't want the spiritual relationship, as beautiful and as convenient as it is. That's good for now. It's a temporary band-aid. But what we really want is the Messianic era, where God can be part of our physical world. And yes, only certain people are going to bring korbanot offerings and incense as a representative of the entire Jewish people. And yes, that it's only going to be at certain times and certain places. It could only be in the Beit HaMikdash. But you're going to be part of this physical world. You're going to be the fabric of the limitations and part of the fabric of the limitations that this physical world has. This is the pitfall that Korach had. We read about Korach two weeks ago. Korach contested the authority and leadership of Moses and of Aaron. And if you were to just look at Korach, you say, okay, this guy's jealous. This guy doesn't like authority. Perhaps we can be a little bit more, um, um, what's it called? Give him more of the benefit of the doubt. He wanted what he thought was equality. It's another way to look at it. But there's another way, there's a third way of looking at it. Korah had an agenda. He wanted Judaism to be spiritual, not physical. And if there's a Moses and if there's a Cohen, again, what did he tell Moses? Why are you exalting yourself? God is among all of us equally. Why do we need a Cohen to represent the offerings? If we all have a piece of God in, uh, in us, let's keep the offerings spiritual. Everybody could do it equally. The moment you have a temple and it's physical and you have a Cohen and so now there's a hierarchy. Certain people could do certain things. There's boundaries. The moment that happens, where, where does equality go? Right? The spiritual version of Judaism is much more exciting. So why exalt yourselves? And Korach missed the point. If you take that approach to Judaism, you're leaving the world so you can come to God. And we're supposed to bring God into the boundaries of the world, not destroy the boundaries of the world, but to bring God, make God part of the boundaries of the world because boundaries are embedded in uh, the reality of our society. Hold on one second. Okay, sorry about that. 
Okay. <clears throat> so two stories. These are repeats, but they're great. I love them. <laughs> because when I think of Korach, this is what I think of. Rabbi Gordon, not the Rabbi Gordon you see on Chabad.org, but his father of blessed memory. His father was Rabbi Shalom Dober Gordon. He was a hospital chaplain in New Jersey. And he uh, had a Jewish patient. He says to him, would you like to put on tefillin? He says, Rabbi, I'm Jewish in my heart. I don't need to do that. So he says, that's why you keep having to go back to the cardiologist. <laughs> don't keep it in your heart. Judaism is not spiritual. It's got to be practical. You got to spread it out. The spiritual part of Judaism, which is what we're left with now, as far as sacrifices are concerned, is beautiful because there's no limitations. Spirituality doesn't have limitations. But having the limitations being spread apart into the physical body, into the physical world is a beautiful thing. About 10 years ago, I was working, uh, um, we were, I was in yeshiva. And every Friday we would go out to various areas. The whole yeshiva would disperse and we'd find Jewish people to put on tefillin with. It was part of the Friday schedule. I used to go to the supermarket called Supercell. It was an Israeli supermarket in, in Los Angeles. Somebody escaped from bed. Sorry. <laughs> um, it was a um, Israeli supermarket in Los Angeles. We would stand outside in the front of the table. We would offer people going in and out the opportunity to put on the fill-in. And there's a ton of Jewish people there. It's an Israeli supermarket. It was like a, it was a gold mine of. <laughs> and the managers of the store, the store uh, and the employees, they loved it because we were part of the. We we're part of the furniture there. We we're part of the cultural vibe. We reminded them of Israel. You know, you have the same thing. It was, they loved it. Until one day we got a new manager. He was not happy with us there. Could be it had to do with some, something to do with us blocking the door, but I don't know. Nobody's going in until you put on the No, I'm kidding. Um, but he wasn't happy with us there. And we're going back and forth. And he says, look, this isn't a synagogue. Judaism belongs in the sin. <laughs> Prayers are in the synagogue and you go to the store. People go to the store. It's two different. And I remember thinking, and I say, I say this without judgment, I'm not judging, uh, you know, he didn't know any better, but, but that's exactly what Korach wanted. Forget the Kohen. Forget bringing God through a physical service down to this world. Forget that. We're all the same because it's spiritual and just go to the synagogue. You keep it there. Keep it in the synagogue. But he was missing the whole point of Judaism. The whole point of Judaism is to bring God into the world, to get him out of the synagogue, to get him out of heaven, bring him down into this world. For now, we can't do that. So our offerings are purely spiritual. But our goal is that they're physical. And by the way, even now that they are spiritual, they still have an element of physicality. Because we say the prayers of our lips should be like that service. Prayer must be articulated, enunciated with our actual mouth. We can't sight read prayer because as spiritual as prayer is, it still has to have a physical impression on us. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>